The scripture for today's sermon comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 19 through 24. The word of God speaks to us. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prisca, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. This is God's word to us. Well, good morning. My name is Chad. I'm one of the pastors here, and I, I would love the opportunity to meet you if I haven't yet, but I'm just going to dive in because we've got some housekeeping to do. We've got some family business that we, we want to just step into, and this is good stuff. This isn't like a dad coming in to say, hey, we got to clean up our act. This is actually good news. Maybe you've been with us for a little bit, and uh, remember that it was three years ago in August that we started here. We started here. We moved from the barn into this place, and we had evenings in this until the, the end of that year. And so it was January of 21 in which we started in the mornings and having this place. But it's been three years that we've been here, right here in this site, uh, doing all of it. We've been praying for just a God to give us presence in some measure, of permanence, like the idea of like roots going deep. We've been asking God, like God, we we sense your you're leading us into an area. We sense all of this, and we've just been asking God to provide a place for presence and again some measure of permanence. And, and I want to say today that God has miraculously, and I, I don't just throw that around. God has miraculously answered these prayers for us. He has met us in those things. And so this past Monday, we signed a long-term lease in which we get to use this place around the clock. We, uh, we have this all the time. We get to use 10 West. And, and let me just head off a couple of groans. You're like, this is the answer to prayer? This is the answer to prayer? Yes, yeah. And let me tell you a couple things. For the last three years, we've gotten to use this on Sunday mornings for a handful of hours. And right now we have access to it all the time. We get to use it for trainings, for, for membership classes, for uh, feasts. The other evening we were up here and there was a group of, of, of people who were meeting and they were huddled in the coffee shop. Most of them come to our church and, and we just had the opportunity to open the doors and fling it open for them to use this space uh, just on Monday evening randomly. And so uh, all those spaces, there are a handful of things that are uh, really need us to put our attention into, which is, it isn't just like, hey, we get a space. It is a non-starter to think about this space without the ability to renovate it. And top of our priority list of renovation is that our kids' space is not just in need of, but like we absolutely have the opportunity and get the chance to turn this into a first-class kids' space for all of the kids that God has blessed us with in this place. So, yeah, that's absolutely right. It's worth celebrating. It's, it's worth praising. Yeah, all those with young kids are like, yes, finally, thank you, thank you. And, and again, there's so much I could say about this, but one of the things is like, that we've just been 
pleading with God and asking God to meet us in is, is like the idea that our kids are using the, the restrooms that are shared with the restaurants. And what we have the opportunity here is to renovate the entire space in which all of our kids' ministry will behind, be behind the secure area with their own bathrooms and with their own facilities and everything that we get to do. And so we're just saying, praise God for every bit of it. It was such an answer to prayer. And it doesn't stop there because our kids' ministry, or our kids' ministry, our student ministry has been planting and meeting at the office that we rented forever. Uh, and, and it just simply, every purpose for our office, short of us being up there alone during the week, We've just outgrown. We've outgrown it in every single way. And we've sensed, though our student ministry is still small, we've sensed like being in a pot too small for the plant. And over the last two weeks, the student ministry has started meeting up here and meeting in different ways. And God just has given us space and a spot for the student ministry to go deep and spread wide in this area and to really just love more and more teenagers and see them meet Jesus maybe for the first time. Praise God for all of it. What you might not know is that for years, before we, even, before we even started as a church out here, we've just been praying, and there's been a group of our, your leaders here in this church that have been praying every Tuesday morning with, I think we've only missed one or two, in all of these years, every Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. gathering for prayer and pleading with God for all sorts of things. It's such a, uh, a massive piece of our church that largely goes invisible to everything that's happening here. But uh, just over a month ago, we took a, one of those mornings and we said, hey, nothing else on our agenda, no check-ins, nothing else that we're praying for other than, God, we desperately need you to do this. We've got to have you open a door for us where we see no possibility you, that it is not impossible for you. And we just tried to pray as boldly and courageously as possible. And friends, this isn't because of somebody had written some awesome prayer, though I would highlight John Rahal said something that I think might have worked. Like we were praying and saying, God, it seems right to us, but it seems right in line with your heart that you would open doors and we just don't see anything right now in which is doing it. And friends, literally like days later, catch this. It wasn't one of us driving around and spotting something. It was the people who run this whole facility came to us. Came to us. There's so much more I could say about all this. There's so much more to highlight in, in plans. We've already had contractors into this. Uh, we have an architect that's coming in this week to help us really create a first-class first class space for kids and for the church broadly and how we get to do it. But I do want to highlight a couple of things and just frame up how we can think about it. We have opportunities, particularly around the building, but broadly in your community, in your community groups, in, in your neighborhood. There are opportunities all around us. And here's why. Because God moves mountains. God's not limited by our scope, our ability, our, our, our talents, our, our place, anything. He's not limited by it. And we have this opportunity, particularly because God moves mountains. 
Secondly, we have this opportunity, particularly around the building, we have this opportunity right here to renovate this into a space that, that really does serve the church and broadly helps us love this city. We have this opportunity because, because God is gracious and because the people of God that have been gathering here through all the ups and downs of the last few years have lived and walked in a way that the community around us has noticed. The people of Tenwe or the people of Vaca and the restaurants have noticed. And one of our prayers was, God, we, want, we feel led to this area of town, and we, we don't want to somehow get a building and, and stop walking with our neighbors. And praise God, what an answer to prayer that I, I could not have articulated ahead of time. But we still get to do life with all these people in a very direct way in which we've got to walk out relationships. And how we live in the days moving forward matters as a witness to the living God. Amen? Amen. The third thing that we get to do is just recognize that how we handle ourselves, how we live out this call to be ambassadors, speaks broadly. It's God making his appeal to us, and we get to do that in every aspect of it. So I want to pray, and then I want us to dive into 1 Corinthians, but I, I don't want us to lose sight of, of just God is really amazing. Our hope is not in a building. Our hope is in a God who moves mountains. And so, Father, we thank you. We thank you for prayers heard, for prayers unanswered, for seasons of up and downs. We thank you for where you have us today and what we sense you doing in the days ahead. And we hold all of it with really open hands and simply ask that you would protect our kids, that you would raise them up, and that you would you'd grow, you would grow the church, not so that we have some big church, but so that more and more men, women, boys and girls would meet Jesus. Would meet Jesus and find hope for all the dark days, for find hope and life and life in abundance. So thank you for this, and we pray that you would be glorified in all of it. Pray these things for your glory and our good. Amen. Amen. Okay, so let me shift gears. We're at the end of 1 Corinthians. And whether this is your first time with us in it or, or you've been with us every step of the way, that's okay. Uh, I, I think there's something here for you. And it's chapters like this which feel almost like reading a phone book sometimes where you're just like, wait. Half of you are like, what's a phone book, Johnny? You're like, way too old. Yeah, you're way too old on this stuff. So, uh, I. I'm on the fly trying to think of another example, and I'm going to fail miserably. So I'm moving on, okay? Uh, it's, like, it's like just going through it, and you're like, man, well, how is this speaking to us? And it's Paul, it's Paul at the end of this letter with some housekeeping to do. It, what, I wanna, what I want you to notice is that he does this in, in a couple particular ways that are really interesting for us. And so, so there is a lot here, and we just don't want to miss it. He's going to talk in chapter 16 uh, about a number of things, but, it, but it, let me just frame it up. He talks about giving in this first part, which kind of seems weird. He's like, hey, these churches are giving. You should be giving too. And here's what he says. Here's what he says in verse 1. Now, concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. It's just as straightforward as can be. Like, there's a, an aspect of giving which goes to the, the church of God. He says that. 
And, and he unpacks that for a second right here. But, but this chapter is also like, it's not Paul with like, hey, Corinth, you guys are, are way out there. I'm never going to see you. It's Paul again and again, like naming names. And he already named Galatia, but he's going to, he names cities, Macedonia, Ephesus. He's naming these different places. He names a house church in another town. He's naming names of people that are not just nameless, faceless people. These are precious to him. It's the same Paul that we quote all the time to say, like, man, I was happy not only to share the gospel with you, but to give my life as well. And that really is the heartbeat of what we want to do here. It's Paul speaking to relationships. Notice what he says in verse 7. He says, for I do not, I don't want to see, I don't want to see you now just in passing. I don't want to just come and just pass through. I don't want to just grab a meal. Like, I want to be with you. I don't want to see you just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. Timothy, Apollos, but also the, the Ephesians and Macedonians. Like, like, you people have become so precious to me. Like, I, I want to come through and invest and be with you. Relationships matter in the church. And Paul's getting to that. He goes on. It doesn't stop there. The, the rest of the chapter is relationships. In verse 15, he says, Now I urge you, I, I plead with you, I'm appealing to you, brothers. You know that the household of Stephanus were the first converse in, in Achaia. And that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these, and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus because they have made up for your absence. Like, he's grieving the absence of these people in his life, and yet he's also blessed by, by the presence of others. Paul is getting to relationship, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours, give recognition to such people. Friends, like, there's so much to unpack here. We could spend the whole time literally walking through this, and it's worth it. It's worth asking more questions in the text. It's worth asking all of it. But for, for our purposes this morning, for our purposes, I want to highlight the uh, loud and clear charge that Paul gives here in this chapter. I, I want to show how it relates to the themes that we've been covering throughout this entire letter and, and, and how they relate to the big story that God is calling us to. Okay, so we'll do a little bit of work here in 16. We'll kind of pull back and talk about the themes of 1 Corinthians as a whole, and then we'll just kind of go macro on the whole thing and say that God's not just talking to the people of Corinth. He's talking to all of us, and he's inviting us into some big story right here. And so start with me. Right here with the charge, the non-negotiable, unavoidable charge to this little church plant in Corinth. Here's what he says in verse 13 and 14. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong and let all that you do be done in love. Be done in love. Hey, 
I'm not going to spend a, a ton of time on this because it, it, I'm going to refer you back in January, the last Sunday in January, and the first two Sundays in February, we spent those three Sundays preaching through those two verses the whole time. And those are on our podcast feed. You can go right there, Frontline Yukon, and you can download those. You can listen to those. You can remind yourself of those. If you want the notes, I will get you the notes to all three of those sermons. But we spend a lot of time unpacking that. I simply want to draw a couple uh, of questions out of it. Be watchful. For what? For your soul. We live in a day, in a moment, in which we're like, we're, we're watchful for all sorts of things. We're, I, I would say we're not even watchful. We're alarmists. And the Bible's not calling us to be alarmists. We're, we're not just crying wolf at everything. We're to be watchful people for our souls. For our souls. Stand firm in the faith. Why? Why? Because, because it's really easy for us. With the, the foundation in which we, our life is built upon matters massively. Stand firm. You cannot stand firm if your foundation is sand. You can't stand firm if your foundation is on a fault line. You can't stand firm if, if, if there's no foundation at all. You, can't, you simply can't stand firm. And so pay attention. Standing firm is also different than how we often see this played out, which is just stubbornness. Which is just, well, I've decided this. The Bible's not calling us to stubbornness. It's not calling us to be obstinate. It's not calling us to be bullheaded. It's calling us to be firm in the gospel. It's calling us to be firm in the faith. That's also teachable. So don't, don't, don't reduce this to just like some stubbornness. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Act like men. How? How? Like, again, we're, we want to live past any cartoonish stereotypes that come out in this. How do you act like men? I refer you back to those sermons, but one of the ways is that we would stand courageously. Ladies, you absolutely can be courageous. I'm not telling you you cannot be courageous. You, courage is universal attribute. But there's a particular aspect for men in which there's duty. There, there are aspects in which they're called to be protectors and to stand in this and, and to fling our arms open in a culture, in a moment, in a place in which, listen, it's going to require strength and courage. And firmness of foundation. We fling our arms open not to just fight every alarmist fear that we have, but actually to be a place of refuge and peace to those around us. We fling your arms open to be protected, and that will require acting like men. Be strong. Be strong, because these moments require it. The day that we live in. And then see how it ends. Uh, on, on the back of act like men and be strong, it says, let all that you do be done in love. In love. There's no contradiction. There's no irony here. They go together. They go together, absolutely. And each one of these on their own gets twisted into some 
cartoon version of what it means to be a Christian. If we just take them in isolation, they they get twisted up. We end up out of whack and out of alignment with what God has called us to, but they don't live on their own. Uh, They're coming at the end of 15 previous chapters in which Paul sums everything up in this charge of how to live. They're building on the second point in this this next turn that I want to do, which is the absolute essential, like, don't miss this themes of 1 Corinthians. The things that we've been talking about from the beginning. You see, Paul is less concerned about, like, what kind of food are you eating? Paul's less concerned about uh, all of these different things. Can we go to the temple? Can we go in here? What about idols and all these types of things? Paul keeps coming back to, no, the, the problem isn't all these external things. The problem is your longings. Your longings. Can we eat this? Can we drink this? Can we act like this? Can we have this? Can we sleep with this person? Can we hang out here? Can we do that? Uh, how far can we go? How far is too far on all these items? How do we wear our hair? How are people supposed to sit in church? How are all these things? And Paul keeps coming back to, no, no, no. It's the longings that you have that are misdirected. And I want you to hear me clearly on this. It's not your longings that are wrong. It's your longings that you're directing to the wrong things. And Paul says again and again to every one of those things, he says, no, 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 there's so much more happening. There's so much more. All of them are important, and all of those longings point to something bigger. We talked about the gifts. One of the themes throughout this book that we cannot miss is that there are gifts all around. Particularly, we spent a lot of time talking about spiritual gifts. The gifts of the Holy Spirit made manifest in believers. These ones that the Spirit has come to live in and is gifting for purposes that are miraculous and mundane. These gifts that are there around. And not any one of us has all the gifts. Not any one of us has all of it. There are gifts of personality. There are gift of temperance. There's gift of, of how you're wired or absolutely like unique gifts of abilities and, and skill and education. But then there are Holy Spirit gifts that are beyond us. And she gives for the moment for healing, a word of knowledge, prophetic, a prophetic picture, a tongue. An interpretation, these gifts that are there for us. And the gifts aren't the end of the story, right? They're pointing to something bigger. Bigger. We also have a gift in the, we have, we're gifted in the relationships and the way that we interact. And Paul, one of the things that he goes back to again and again is, like, what do we put in our body? What do we eat? What do we do this? And Paul's answer to all that is that the body is actually a picture of something so much more. Your actual physical body is, is a picture of so much more happening in it. It's yours. It's, it's mine. It, ours, as in the, the gathered church together are a body, an organism that is working together. Different parts, elbows and knees, ears and feet uh, somehow are working together and making everything so much more beneficial and beautiful to the world around us. These are themes that are going on, and yet in the day-to-day, 
moment-to-moment aspects of life and wrestling with longings, with giftings, with body, with relationships, all those things. And the moment-by-moment spaces, this little church in Corinth often forget that. That all of these things point to something bigger. See, Paul, the people have written this letter in 1 Corinthians. The people of Corinth have written this letter essentially asking, like, how far is too far on hair, on on food, on sex, on relationships, on marriage, on how, who has the best gifts. How far is this? How, who has these things? They're asking about all sorts of things, even death. They're asking about death in here. And Paul keeps pointing them back to the foolishness of their question, which comes to like, well, how far, how far can I go? How far do I have to go? How far do I have to love this person? How far do I get to do these types of things? How far is too far? How far are all of these pieces in here? What do I have to do? Or like, have I gone too far? Have I screwed this up? Am I too far for God to love me? And Paul just keeps coming back and essentially saying to the people, like, it's not really about you. If you think church is just about what you get to eat or drink or talk to or who's the best or who's first, you're reducing church to being like a self-centered thing. And church is actually about something so much more. It's where you find the, the purpose of all those longings. It's where you find all of every bit of it pointing. One pastor describes it this way, describes the problem this way. Everything from our hours, from the hours of our workday to the gender of our sexual partner is taken to be a matter of individual preference. Catch that. Everything, everything on that spectrum, we start reducing to, do I like it or do I not like it? Does it make me comfortable? Does it make me feel better about myself? Does it make me happy or sad? Everything comes down to individual preference. It's the world in which we find ourselves. The individual conscience is revered and treated as an inviolable demideity. Now, those are big words. Dim idea, idea, like a small little G God in which it, it, it rules all these different things and it has, speaks into our lives. It, and it is not to be violated. It's not to be uh, moved against. See, our individual conscience starts to be at the center of everything. It starts to be the one to whom ultimate allegiance is owed. Even in the Christian religion, The worship of God is in danger of being drowned out by the worship of self-esteem and felt needs. God is praised insofar as he makes us feel better about ourselves. And here's the problem. (laughs) That could have been written for Corinth as much as it could be written for us. 
that there's all these subtle ways in which we make it about us. We make it about our convenience and, and our conscience or our preference. When the whole story, every bit of it is about God. And so what's the big idea? What is, what's that theme of the letter? The, the church of God is so much bigger than you and I. And I want to I, I unpack that with four things real quickly. The church is to be holy. That's what the letter tells us. The church is to be holy. Why? Because God is holy. Because God himself is holy without sin, sanctified and set apart. It's God who is holy. And the second verse of this whole letter says that. Chapter 1, verse 2 says, To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both theirs and ours. The church is called to walk in holiness. Now, all of us fall short. All of us are, are a big pile of mess all the time. All of us uh, sin every day more than we like. That's not to excuse it. How do we walk in holiness in a practical way? We do that, one another, with repentance. In which again and again we run to this God. He washes us clean in this. The second thing I would say is the church is, is to live in unity. It's to, called to be holy and it's called to live in unity. That doesn't mean we are going to agree on everything all the time. I, listen, we, as a staff, we don't agree all the time on things. But we walk together. We walk together in this. Verse 10, chapter 1, verse 10 says... I appeal to you. Right here at the beginning of this letter, Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you, all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. You would walk in unity together. You see, the church is bigger than you and I. It's bigger than just, well, what do I get out of it? My preference in, in, in mine, did I, did I like that or not like that? Did someone look at me wrong or not look at me wrong? Uh, it, it's bigger. The third thing is the church is to be purposeful. There is a purpose for the church. It's bigger than us, but it's also not just like, hey, endlessly, we're just having a happy time just getting together every Sunday. That's not the end goal of the church. The end goal of the church is not to evaluate, was this good or bad, or, or did it meet all your needs? The church is here for a purpose. Notice what it says in chapter 3, verse 16. It says this, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? And you, verse 17, it goes on, it says, you are that temple who you are. Well, what was the purpose of the temple? It was the purpose of which uh, not only followers of Jesus would gather, or followers of God would gather, and be able to worship him as he called them to worship, but it was where this watching world would see and be introduced to the living God. It isn't just, hey, is this place going to be nice enough when we renovate it? It isn't just, are the seats going to be X, Y, or Z? It's that God has a purpose. The church is, is to walk with purpose. 
And the fourth thing I would say, I, I, I started with the church is called to be holy. The church is called to, to walk in unity. The church is called to live out its purpose in this world. The fourth thing I would say is the church made up of individuals, you and me, are to be knit together in the body of Christ, sanctified and set apart for the purpose of loving those around us. We're not just to be nice people. We're not just to do good deeds. And if you, if you were to look at it, chapters 8 through 14, you could really frame this up as, like, just count. Go, go through 8 through 14 and count how many times Paul goes back to, hey, here's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to love one another. Here's how this is bigger than the question that you're asking me. Paul says you're to love one another. And, and I just want you to see how he frames this up. In chapter 10, verse 24, he says, Let no one seek his own good. But the good of his neighbor. And I keep trying, I keep in my prayers and my prep, I keep trying to like, God, help get this to its most basic element. Help us get this to its most basic element. Why are these things so essential to who we are in Christ? The themes that you've given us, the church being bigger, these longings that we have, the, the idea that you gifted us for a purpose and that we're to walk this out as a body. Why are these so essential to us? And what is that most basic element? And so that gets us to our third and final point. This incredible, more than like our minds can comprehend, and you need to take me seriously on that, more than our minds can comprehend, big story that God is calling us to. This big story that God is calling us to. Like, because the, the invitation from God as a, as a Christian is to step into this picture to a watching world and to display to display as a reflection this living God. As you are being transformed into the image of Christ, you're just reflecting it out to the world around us. Now, friends, that changes how we approach things. That it changes, do you provide all the services that I want or, or activities or different this, that, or the other? It changes that because it is so much bigger than you and I. You're being invited into a life altogether different to display his own reflection. To reflect God to a watching world. Notice where he speaks of this. In chapter 2, he says this. Verse 12, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. He goes on in verse 16, chapter 2, but we have the mind of Christ. We've received the spirit of God and the mind of God in us for a purpose, for a life lived differently. The ultimate end, hear me, the ultimate end for you and for me, for the church broadly, but particularly let's put it in Yukon right now, the ultimate end is not to get a permanent meeting space. The ultimate end is not to clean up our lives. 
The ultimate end isn't that somehow we raise the water level of morality in our city and do that. The ultimate end isn't that we become nice and well-known and somehow people uh, hear the name of Frontline. We're not raising the flag for Frontline. We are raising the name of Jesus to a watching world around us. And if you, if you want help with understanding and living that out, well, hear me, you must realize that how you relate to the church gathered broadly is a revealer. It says something about the core of your understanding of your relationship with God. You can't just do life. You can't just walk as a solo project because he's called us to walk as a body. He's called us to do those things. And so in the middle of a dying world, in the middle uh, of brokenness all around, God has called his church to shine the light of life into the darkness for you and me to be a part of that. Certainly in our neighborhoods, certainly in our workplaces, certainly with those around us, but also as the church gathered and notice what he says in chapter 10 verse 31 he says he says so whether whether you eat or drink that's all of you that's all of you biologically that's all of you whether you eat or you drink or whatever you do that certainly is all of you whatever you do do all to the glory of god give no offense to the Jews or to the Greeks, and let's put that in language here, to those who may not go to church, to those who are working on Sunday morning, to those who would be like, I'm not even sure I want this Jesus, like that we would walk in a manner worthy of the calling of God to those who walk the hall past us on Sunday morning, but don't ever come in, that we would walk in a way in which we don't give offense, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. And so we are to be wrapped, we're to be wrapped up in God's glory. And that everything that we do is for God's glory. Everything else is too small and meaningless. And even, even like the sweetest things in the world are meaningless. And so, hear me, if you've built your, your kind of religious Christian life around what you can get, you've missed the whole thing. You've missed the whole thing on how God can fix your, your immediate issue or your felt needs or, or, or like some sort of diet pill. We approach God and religion as some sort of like diet pill that we just, if we just do this enough, it, somehow we'll do it. And that's not... The invitation from God. And, and I, I would also name, like, in the areas in which our church has led you to believe that or contributed you to, to believing that, like, hear me. I mean, we repent of that and apologize for it. The Christian life was never meant to be about me or, 
or, or about you or about just like, let's make a name for one local congregation. It is finally and ultimately about God. And it's right there where we find the hope for all of our longing. It's why when we started this walk through 1 Corinthians, we started talking about the rhythms of the city and the rhythms that we walk out uh, in this. The people of Corinth were, were walking to different rhythms and they didn't even know it. They didn't even know it that they were keeping a rhythm that was more in line with the world around them than the rhythm that Jesus had given them to walk in. Jesus' rhythm is often slower than we like to give credit for. Slower than we would like. Slower than our culture wants. It wants instant gratification. And we find ourselves kind of speeding up at different times. And we've got to, we've got to remind ourselves, we've got to go right back to the word that says, no, what is the rhythm that God has called us to? The rhythm of community. The rhythm of gathered and scattered. The rhythm of Sabbath. The rhythm of prayer. The rhythm of confession. The rhythm that says, I, it isn't that I long for too much, it's that I don't even long for enough. So we would think about the rhythms that we're walking in in this place. It's also why we've, we've wrapped it up over the last few weeks of leaning into what Jeff has, has been preaching through, this telos, this trajectory of our life. Where is all this going? Where is this whole story heading? And what is that going to is where we've got to ask the question of where is our life going and the decisions that I'm making today and tomorrow and I'm, I'm moving towards, is that moving in the same direction that Jesus is calling us to? The rhythms and the trajectory of our lives matter. And so I ask you, the question that God's been pressing on my heart all week is like, where are my rhythms off? Where is the trajectory going? And do those line up with you, Jesus? Not just my own preference. Not just my own needs real and felt. But where are they being formed by you, Jesus? It's this conversation in chapter 15 around resurrection. It was all weird. It's like, who, wait, wait, people aren't believing in the resurrection? All these types of things. And, and cut through all of it. Paul is saying, and Jesus himself says, to friends who are grieving and going through real pain, Jesus, standing there with Martha, says, I am the resurrection. I am the life. I am where your hope is found. Your hope is not found in getting your needs met. It's all right here. And he turns to her and he says, do you believe this? Friends, do you believe that the church is not just for your needs? the glory of God and it's in walking and living that out in that he supplies far more than we could ever think, dream, or imagine. Will you bow your heads with me?